Well, good morning. Uh, we are starting our Advent series today. Um, this will take us up through Christmas Eve, uh, where we will have a morning service and then a Christmas Eve candlelight service that evening. We call this Advent, and Mike and Karen already referenced it, but the word Advent just means arrival. And it's not a word that we regularly use. You don't go to the airport and you go to the Advent area. You go to the arrivals, right? It's a church word. It means to anticipate. And if there's something else, yes, I forgot to mention, we have a red, what was the car brand? Toyota Camry in the front row here. Your back windows are open, and so the rain is making itself at home. So if you have a Toyota Camry with a red one in the front row there, you can go and fix those windows. All right, I anticipate you getting those windows up. We're talking about anticipation, uh, an arrival of Jesus. Throughout the scriptures, God's people were anticipating Jesus' coming. The Messiah, the one who would solve the sin problem, to reconcile them to God. This season of Advent is intended to draw our hearts into that same type of thing. As we started this season, uh, many of you have already taken part in this, but we, we promoted Advent blocks, little blocks that are an Advent calendar to get you ready for Christmas. There's also a book that goes along with that, and I know many of you are doing Advent studies or Advent readings to prepare your heart, to kind of prime your heart. I know my family, we have a few Advent books floating around, and uh, we're going through those together. Because if things are like they should be, you probably have a tree at home, and it's probably got lights on it. There may even be some Christmas music wafting around. I know for some of you, it's been going on for a whole month. Maybe there's Christmas candy, and hopefully there's a Christmas present or two under the tree with your name on it. But we know all of this anticipation and this commercialization about Christmas, there needs to be something more than just gifts and gift-giving. We need something greater. We need to have something that will change our lives. And this Advent series is all about that. The Advent blocks are going to tie to this series, but if you don't have them, it's okay. But you'll find that what we're talking about today is the same exact story that you'll be talking about in your Advent blocks if you haven't done them today. We want to change our affections. We want our affections to be geared towards the Lord, towards His Son, now, the coming series is going to be a unique series, right? Most of the time when we do Advent series, it's, you know, talking about the shepherds or the wise men or Herod or Bethlehem or the star or Joseph and Mary, and we'll get to that, but we're going to start even farther back in the Bible. We're going to go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. Now, that's a kind of an odd one, but next week's is even more odd, because we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba next week. And how does that relate to Jesus? And if you don't know, you need to read ahead because um, 2 Samuel 11 and 12 will tell you a little bit about their interesting, let's say, story. We're also going to talk about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and then we will talk about Mary and Joseph. Because the, the whole point of all of this is to get us to anticipate the coming of Jesus and see why he came, and then anticipate his return. So if you haven't already, like Trevor said, please open up your Bibles to Genesis 15. 
We're going to be going to a lot of different places in Genesis. They'll be on the screen, but 15 is where we're going to really land. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to do three parts to this sermon. And the first part is going to be, we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah's story. Then we're going to dig into Genesis 15 and kind of pull it apart. And then finally, we're going to go really practical. What do we do when we're in a situation like Abraham and Sarah? How do we wait on the Lord? So that's where we're going to finish. So let's talk about Abraham and Sarah's story. Well, the first thing we need to recognize is that the Old Testament Judaism, the, the religion of the Old Testament, which springboards into our full religion of the old and new combined, is a waiting religion. From its very inception, there's a wait. From Genesis 3, there will be, there will come a snake crusher. Genesis 12, you will have this land. You will have children. And on and on and on again. We in the New Testament era, we are actually looking back. But as we look back, we also are waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for the Lord to fulfill promises that he's made to us. We're waiting for the Lord to have healing physically and in relationships. And we're ultimately waiting for Jesus to come again. To end all the pain and suffering and wars and death and dying. And to begin a new heaven and a new earth. So there is waiting involved. Let's go back to Genesis 15 again and read it again. Verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and and no member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And I'll just tell you, this is a very familiar passage. Some of you have read this several hundred times. This is a passage we see pretty regularly referenced. However, I want to show you some things in this today that I personally, and I know you guys are better scholars than I am, but you probably noticed some of these things, but this Genesis story, Genesis 12 to 21, there's some things in here that I never caught before. And they just kind of leap out and they go, wow, what a way to understand this. So let's dig into this. First of all, um, this is the first couple listed in Jesus' genealogy. In Matthew, the first couple listed is Abraham and Sarah. What's their story? Okay, so first of all, Abram, his name is Abram, but he gets it changed to Abraham. So extend me a little grace when I say him back and forth. Um, I'll try to use him like what the passage is on, but sometimes I'll say Abraham. His wife's name's Sarai, and her name is changed to Sarah by God, actually. God changes their names. They're from a land called Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, part of Iran, it would have been the area that would have been known as Babylon as well. They are pulled out of their land by God in Genesis chapter 12, when God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you some land. Now, how old are they? Well, they're in their 70s at this point, and they are childless, which is very uncommon. She would be considered barren. In the land of Ur, They would have had shame put on them because not having children was a sign that the gods were mad at you. So this was a curse in their their mind. 
God visits Abraham in chapters 12, 15, and 17 to remind him of his promise. Abraham needed that constant reminder that God was going to keep his word. Not only that, but this promise of having children in their 70s, both Abraham and Sarah laugh at, right? I don't know if you guys ever caught that before. Sarah, we know, chapter 18, Sarah laughs, and she says, no, I didn't. And the angels are like, yeah, actually, you did. And then later, when they name Isaac, they name him, he laughs. I thought that was like a a subtweet on Sarah, like, you laughed, haha, we're going to name him Laughter. But here's the thing, in, in Genesis 17, Abraham laughs. It says he fell down and laughed. Some of the commentators are like, see, he was worshiping and laughing. And I, that's not how I see that. What he had just heard was he had just heard that his wife in her 80s is going to have a baby. He had never seen that before. They had tried for decades to have a baby. And yet no baby had shown up. So Abraham is literally rolling on the floor laughing. All right? Ironic that though his faith is shown as a, as a, as a paragon for us to follow. So we need to get that this was painful. This was a painful waiting for Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 12 of Genesis, Abraham is 75 years old. Sarai is 66 The Lord says in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, Ur, and your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who honors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The author of Hebrews says that by faith Abraham obeyed and left. He gave up everything. He left everything and moved to a new place. And it says, I will bless you and make your name great. And he does this. Abram's family around him grows. His crops, his his animals, his servants, everything's growing. They're having children. They're having more animals, more crops. In fact, his nephew Lot His family's growing so big that Abram says, we got to split up. So Abram is watching Lot's family growing, and he's had kids, and now he's on to grandkids. And he's looking, and he still has not even a child to his name. So if you remember, Lot's family splits, and Abram gives Lot the choice of where to settle, and he settles in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram settles in a less fruitful place. More and more time comes along, and then this brings us to Genesis 15. And the Lord appears to Abram and says, Fear not, which is always what angels say when they appear to us mere mortals. Don't be afraid. I'm here. He says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So now, Abram is now in his early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Sarai is in her mid-70s. They still have no child. The Lord has blessed them. The Lord has given them lots and lots of things. But the one thing that Abram and Sarai wanted the most was not there yet. Still no child. Some other things transpire. Abram and Sarai, they try to solve this problem on their own. And we have the situation with Hagar. We have Sarah laughing 
We have their names changed. And then we get to Genesis 21. And this is what it says. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. You think maybe Moses is trying to get us to understand that the Lord is keeping his promise? And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse the children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, lest you think that this is like all of the people in the Old Testament prior to the flood, that a hundred is not really a hundred, you know? There's not an age inflation here. Well, 100 is the new 30. No, that's not the way this works. This is 100 like 100 today. This is 90 like 90 today. All of those extended lifetimes were, were pre-flood. Post-flood, they got down shorter and shorter. Abraham's only going to live another 15 or 20 years after this. And Sarai's not even going to get that far. Sarah. So Abraham, at 100 years old, becomes a father. Sarah at just a little over 90 years old. Let's put this in perspective. They waited 25 years for God to keep his promise. Now, that doesn't land on us quite enough. Let's try it a different way. 300 months is how long they waited. 1,300 weeks. And since we're counting down to Christmas, right? How many days? Like 23, 22, right? Some of you are already ready for that. They had to wait 9,125 days for God to keep his promise. That's incredible to think about. We sit down and we read Genesis 12 through 21. We can read it in one sitting. You could do it pretty quickly. I don't think it would take you more than 35 minutes. Abraham and Sarah lived it day by day. 9,125 mornings of waking up without a child. You can see why God had to come over and over and over again to remind them of his promise. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. See, Abraham was a waiting man. He was also a faithful man. In his waiting, he looked to the Lord. As the 70s turned into 80s and 80s into 90s, he waited. He moved to Haran, to Canaan, to Egypt, and back again. His body weakened, arthritis trick knees, lack of hearing. His wife grew grayer and grayer, and yet he waited. And then Isaac is born. No wonder they said his name would be He Laughs. This is a response to both of their laughter, but it's even more to that. This is a laughter that are tears of joy mixed in. This is a laughter where it's like, huh, there's no way this should happen, Lord, but you did it. Isn't that just the way the Lord does things? He takes the thing that we don't expect and he makes that the way he does it. God could have brought Isaac sooner or he could have given the promise even later. He sent Abraham into the wilderness of waiting for 25 years because waiting for Abraham was good for Abraham. 
waiting for Sarah was good for Sarah. See, God had promised a son, and the slow wait was painful, but throughout it, God was faithful. Isaac was not just a joy to his parents, but he was also in the line of Jesus. Jesus' blood was from Isaac. So God would provide a way. So this child, this Isaac, that led to a future child that we're celebrating now, this Jesus Christ, happened exactly how the Lord wanted it to happen, in exactly his timing to bring about what he wanted to bring about. So let's dig now. So we've got our Abraham and Sarah story kind of here. Let's now dig into Genesis 15. Very first line. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Reward shall be very great. So the, what had happened right before this was Abraham's rejection of the world's goods. Sodom and Gomorrah was like the choice place to live, the best farmland. Rather than place his hope and his faith in the good things of this world, he says, I'm going to trust the Lord. Abraham looks to God, and God meets him right after he looks to him. He came to him in a vision. Your reward shall be very great. You've denied the wealth of the world, and I'm going to give you the wealth that comes from me. Spurgeon paraphrases it this way. The Lord says, Your nephew Lot trusts in what he can see. He followed the judgment of this world and chose what to seemed to be immediate advantage. And now he has lost it all. But fear not, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. You will not lose. You've chosen the good part that will not be taken from you. You have no share in the well-watered plain of Jordan. You need not fret. You will never lose your portion. Fear not, Abraham, what you've given up for my sake, for my glory, for my honor, will never be taken away, for I am your shield. I am your great reward. See, what's interesting here is Abraham asks a question in verses 2 and 3. God's already answered it. God said, you don't need to worry. I'm the reward. I am the shield. I will take care of you. But here's what Abraham said. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. God answers his question before he even asks it. Now we look at this and we go, "Ah, Abraham, you're kind of doubting God. That's That's not how the Holy Spirit saw it when he told Paul to write, No unbelief made Abram waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So no, we don't see unbelief here. Instead, we see this perplexity, like, okay, Lord, I, I get how things work. I, I get how, you know, how the birds and the bees work, and I get how old age works. How are you going to do this? This makes no sense. This reminds me of Mary. When Gabriel shows up, and Gabriel goes, you're going to have a baby, and she goes, how does that work since I'm a virgin? It's the same exact mindset. It's the other end of the spectrum, though. These are reasonable questions. God is not offended by Mary or Abraham's perplexity. Instead, he responds in kindness, and he says, I will show you. In Genesis 18, 14, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is, no, it's not. 
He can make a woman who's never known a man have a baby. He can make an old man and an old woman a fruitful well. This is how God works. Verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now this is huge, this last verse here. Counted it to him as righteousness. It's not Abraham did a bunch of work and God rewarded him. No, God said, I'm going to count your belief as righteousness and credit it to you. He believed the Lord. That word believe is where we get the word amen from. It's a Hebrew word. It's not what we say at the end of our prayers to say, all right, God, done, you go ahead and start. That's not what's going on here. It's not, oh, I hope so, crossing my fingers. No, amen, amen means it shall be. It is so. It's saying, I have faith in that what I just said to the God of the universe will be done in his way and his word. I believe it. And so he says, I believed it. He's putting his trust in the Lord. Then it says, he counted it as righteousness. Some of our translations will say credited it to him. And we kind of, that messes up a little bit, right? You know, somebody messes up your order and they give you an extra credit. Like, I deserve this because I had to eat this half-cooked meal from McDonald's and now I have an extra credit. That's not the way this works. This is not anything Abram has done. This word counted means given for no reason. It's given because God gave it to him. It's graced to him. It's a gift. This belief is a gift to Abram. This righteousness is a gift to Abram. We see the gospel there. So we've dug in a little bit. Now let's talk about what do we do while we're waiting. Because all of us are going to wait at some point for the Lord. Whether it's waiting for Jesus to return or waiting for him to keep one of his many promises. Because the I am's in the Bible and the I will's in the Bible, many of those are for you. Some of them were for people in the past, but some of them are still outstanding now. I will be your God. I will not forsake you. These are promises for us. I will care for you, I'll meet all your needs. So, what do we do when we wait? What do we do when the hours roll by and it just seems like there is no hope? Your heart is near breaking, and yet it does not break. The Lord's hand is on it. What many saints have discovered is that the Lord loves to water deserts. The Lord loves to provide in the midst of impossible situations. Abraham grew strong in his faith. When? Not when Isaac showed up, but during the childless years. Those 25 years, Abraham's faith grew. That's what the book of Romans, that's what Hebrews is talking about. His faith grew in his time of waiting. And so how can we grow our faith in this time of waiting? So first, let's talk about the first option, which is look inside yourself. All right. So let me change this for you and say, do not look inside yourself. The world's answer to the solution, the problems we have, is look deeper into you. 
And let me can just start off with, this is the worst advice ever. And, and I, I, it, it's not hard to see. You see it in every single movie. It's in a kid's movie every single time. Oh, you just got to discover the real you. You got to dig down deeper into you. And unfortunately, this is terrible advice. The salvation we need is not found by looking into ourselves, but by looking out to God. Let me show you where this is in the Bible. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end is the way of death. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Our world says, be true to yourself. Trust your heart. Search your heart. The Bible says, be very, very suspect of your heart because it is fallen. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. Let's pray that we don't do that. Pray with me now. Lord, we are so overwhelmed with our culture with these words of trusting ourselves, looking inside ourselves, finding the secret us to trust. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that for the lie it is, and to deny it. In your name, amen. So now what do we do? Well, we need to do the first thing, which is look up. We need to look up. Everywhere in the Bible, there's all sorts of places, and you'll hear them. Aaron read one at the beginning, and you'll see them throughout, is, how long, O Lord? Where are you, Lord? Why can't I see you, Lord? All of those words are in the Bible. There's a lot of laments in the Bible saying, what are you doing? Why are you waiting? Why are you delaying? And here's the thing, is that those same psalmists, the same writers, do not look at it and go, this means God's not there. Instead, they go, this means God's taking his time. This means God's doing something else. And so they continue to look And they continue to raise their eyes. They continue to pray towards heaven. Look at what Micah 7, 7 says. As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Abram hears, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. See, God wants us to remember who he is. Entire books of the Bible are all about remember, remember. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy is Israel in the wilderness, and Moses for 30 sermons goes, remember, remember, remember who God is. Don't forget his character. Psalm 26, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So the first place we need to look is we need to look up. We need to look up and go, where are you, God, and cry out to God. Let's pray that we can do that. Pray with me now. Lord, help us to take our eyes and look forward and look up to you. Lord, you are there and you are not silent. So, Lord, I pray whatever it is in our hearts and in our lives that is getting in the way of being able to see you, that you would remove it. If it's sin, convict us and repent. Help us repent. If it's other situations, Lord, just make yourself so clear to us now. In your name, amen. So we've got look up. The next thing we need to do is we need to look backward. We need to look behind us. 
And what I mean is not literally behind us, okay? God's not right there and you can just turn around, okay? What I mean is look to the past. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 89, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. He's saying, I'm going to sing about the things in the past. But I want to show you, because this is where it was this, this was a situation where in Genesis 15, I got blown away. So look at what God did here in Genesis 15. Turn to verse 5. And he, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, how many of you, when you see that, you're like imagining maybe the Lion King, right? Where he's taking him outside and he says, Look at all the stars. You know, he's talking about his ancestors. And then it breaks into a musical number. That is not what's happening here. And let me show you. So verse 1 of Genesis 15 is the start of a new day. 14 was the day before. This is the start of a new day. As we go through verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, God's making a covenant with Abraham. But look at verse 12. And as the sun was going, where? Down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. Okay, hold on a second. What's going on here? Here's what's going on here. God took Abram outside in the middle of the day, and he said, look up. Can you see any stars? Can you count any stars? Well, of course he couldn't see them. But Abram knew they were there, didn't he? 9,125 nights, he went to bed, and every night he saw the stars. Whether it was cooking a campfire, whether it was sitting with friends, or visiting the little boy's room in the middle of the night, he saw those stars. He knew they were there. They were there every single night. And so God's point here is, I am going to provide for you. And yes, you may not be able to see it right now. You may not be able to see it, but you know it's there. How does Abraham know that God is there? How is he going to know that he keeps his word? Because he's kept it in the past. He's got a relationship with God in the past. He can look at it and say, I don't know, God, what you're doing right now, but I know what you've done in the past, so therefore I know what you're doing now is good. And how do we know that? Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, the children of Jacob are not consumed. Abraham had a relationship with God. He had a history with God. And every single time, God came through. Except for this one thing, this kid that he wanted, this child. And so God says, I am going to give you this child as sure as the stars are going to rise at night tonight, when you go to bed, it's as sure as that. Because I am the Lord. I do not change. Countless times in his 80 plus years, he saw the stars. What a good reminder. See, and you look at that and you go, okay, but I have never had God talk to me and do all this stuff. He, he did. It, it, it's, it's right here in God's word. Isn't this great? 
We have 66 letters from God to us telling us about him. And yes, this is the most read book in the history of the world, but it's also the book that collects the most dust. It's the book we neglect the most. This is God. This is who he is. So one of the things we must do is we must be students of God's word. Look at the times that Israel messes up. Some of you are here today and you're going, I've messed up too big. God can't take me back. They're nothing compared to what Israel was doing. And he took them back. So will he take you back? Is this the same God? The answer is yes. So look to the history. Look to church history. I love that Pastor David has been having our youth go through church history. Not just for creeds and confessions and heretics and all that, but because you can see all these Christians throughout history living through what we're talking about here. We got biographies galore on church history, on saints, people that we're going to be in heaven with, right over here in our library. Anybody can check them out and read about how they survived through these stories and how God brought them through. That's the same God that we are here worshiping right now. The same God that we can have a relationship with is the one we see in the past. Let's pray that the Lord will show himself to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that your word tells us what you're like. Lord, forgive us for wanting to do anything else but read it. Forgive us for looking for answers somewhere else. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind not only Scripture or church history, but also how you've been faithful in our lives. Help us to remember your goodness to us so that we can stand in faith now. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So we've got look up. We've got look back. Now we get to look forward. The Lord makes lots of promises in his word. Here's one of my favorites. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see that? There's actually kind of, there's kind of the present day and the future in that one, especially in verse 5. Not only do we have an inheritance waiting for us, it's the inheritance that Jesus deserves that we get, but it says we're going to be guarded so that we can get there. Isn't that awesome? What a promise that the Lord is going to guard our hearts as we move forward with him towards heaven. So we must look forward to what the Lord's going to do. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. See, this is exactly what Abraham's working on. Romans 4.20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So there's, there's a hope there, there's a trust, there's a strength that comes from looking forward. Remembering that all the promises in the Bible, all the I wills are yes in Christ. Second Corinthians says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. So that means when we open up the Bible and we look at it, we can let those promises make 
a home in our waiting hearts. They can reside with us. Whatever you need, whatever your need, God has spoken. Maybe it's a gift you've been waiting for, like Abraham's son. Maybe it's something less. Maybe it's, maybe it's you just need some comfort. God comforts the comfortless. Isaiah 40, verse 1. God help, sends help for the helpless. Isaiah 41, 10. He sends provision for the needy. Philippians 4, 19. He will answer your knocking. Matthew 7. And there's so, so many more. The list of promises goes on and on. I could sit here and read them all to you, but it would take my entire time for preaching. They're there. Find those promises and go to the Lord and say, Lord, keep your promises. So let's pray that we can look forward. Heavenly Father, you have promised us so much. You've shown us so much in your word. You promised to guard us and protect us. So Lord, keep your promises. This week as we go about our days and we are, we are tempted to sin, we're tempted to doubt your goodness, Lord, guard us, guard our hearts that we may glorify you. Thank you for your son's death, his inheritance, his paid in full that is waiting for us, the gift to be unwrapped when we walk through the doorway of death into new life. Lord, we look forward to that in your name. Amen. So we've looked up, we've looked back, we've looked forward. Seems like there's still waiting going on. Sometimes it's hard to look at all three of those. Sometimes looking back is painful because you go, oh, that, that hurt. And there's hurts that no matter how far in the past they are, they still hurt. Maybe looking up, there, there's some problems with that. Maybe you're doubting a little bit. Maybe you've, you've, your faith is wavering. And looking up doesn't work for you right now. And maybe looking forward is, is stress-inducing. I can't possibly get to where you want me to get, Lord. How am I going to do this? Well, there's one more way to look. And that is to look down. We might be tempted on a day like today where everything seems to be in the future to just give up. But look at what David says in Psalm 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you, the God, you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David did look up. We see that in the Psalms. He did look back. He did look forward. But he also says, Lord, I need you to teach me today what you want me to do. Sometimes the best thing to focus on is, Lord, what's my next step? What's the next step you want me to take? Yeah, 20 steps down the road may be too much for me to handle, but what, what's the step that I need to do today? Lord, help me obey and submit and wait and take the step. It's easy to think if we're in the middle of waiting and as we're, we're struggling through, is God good? to feel like we're in the parentheses between the future and a past that was good and a future that's good, and we're kind of stuck here. But today, even today, the God of waiting has good works for you to walk in. He wants to meet you in those good works. So what do we do? Rehearse the promises. Those promises we just talked about that are yes in Christ, those are yours. Bring those back up and pray them to the Lord. Do the work that's in front of you. Love those who are around you. Care for your family. 
Love your neighbors. Share the gospel. And then trust that one day soon, we will join with Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David and Jeremiah saying, none who wait on the Lord shall be put to shame. Let's pray for that now. Lord, the steps that are right in front of us are so hard for us to see. Many times because we're looking 10 steps down the road and you want us to just take the step right in front of us. So Lord, make that first step clear. And then make the next step clear. Even if it's baby steps, Lord, help us to do the steps that you would have us and give us the strength to do it. Remind us of your promises. And Lord, thank you for keeping your promises. Amen. So, Abraham did not waver. He trusted in the promises of God. He looked up. He saw his great shield. He saw the character of God. He saw that this was a God that is full of love towards us. He saw this God. He looked back on the promises that God had kept. One of the cool things about him looking back is he could look around him and see all the other blessings that God had provided that were not his doing. So he knew he could trust this God. He looked forward to the promise. Our entire passage was him saying, is this when the promise is going to be fulfilled or do I have to keep waiting? He put his hope in the Lord and his hope was not misplaced. And when looking forward was too much, he looked down and took the next step that the Lord had for him. Isn't it great that every direction we look, the Lord is showing us what we need? It's like the four points of the compass, isn't it? We can look to the future. There's the Lord's promises. We can look to the past. There's the Lord's consistency. We can look up. There's the Lord's character. We can look down. Oh, Lord, this is my step that I'm taking today. But the question is, is will we trust him in our waiting? Will we trust him? God has looked, laid out so that every direction we look, we see him. But that doesn't get to the heart of the issue. Will you trust him? Look at what he's done. Will you trust him? Let him be your God.